0: What events led to the scandal of the century? And what should we take away from this moment in history? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Warnasek. Okay scandal, right? It comes in all different forms, but people really seem to gravitate towards political scandal. With the contentious January 6th hearings underway, we're reminded of another large televised House committee hearing. This week, we are going to revisit the 1972 Watergate scandal. All right, I'll set the scene. It's June of 1972, Richard Nixon is president and there's a break in at the Democratic National Committee headquarters at the Washington, D.C. Watergate office building. So what the heck happened? What were the ties to the White House? And how did this scandal impact the future parameters of presidential power? Well, here to talk me through all of this is research specialist at the University of Virginia Miller Center, Ken Hughes. And Ken joins me now. Thank you so much for coming on. I mean, people love their political scandals. So we're going to hop right into it. I know it. I do, Abby. <laughs> yeah. How do you know so much about this, by the way?
1: Um, Just kind of a lifelong obsession. Mm. Watergate took place when I was a child and uh, the wall-to-wall coverage of the televised hearings greatly interfered with my afternoon television watching schedule. (laughs) And uh, I I basically, I couldn't make head or tail of it because I was too young. I was eight during the Watergate break-in. And uh, I was always really curious about uh, the unanswered questions. So I I eventually became a journalist, uh, worked in radio and TV and newspapers. And uh, eventually, after Richard Nixon died in the 1990s, um, that made it possible for the government to finally put out the uh the nixon tapes which he had fought very very hard to keep under wraps for reasons that became obvious once we heard them and uh, i got to go get answers to the questions that had been in the back of my mind since childhood and that's how i became a historian
0: wow i was just i actually while you were talking there i was just looking up what were popular shows in the 70s so instead of watching Let's see. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kids or Scooby-Doo or uh, Schoolhouse Rock. Oh. You were watching the Watergate coverage.
1: Yes, I was. <laughs> Much to my chagrin.
0: <laughs> wow. I wanted
1: to watch Godzilla on the 430 movie.
0: There you go. <laughs> OK, so, Ken, I guess let's just start with what exactly was Watergate.
1: Well, um, there's a lot of answers to that the uh the first thing the reason it got its name was watergate was a break-in at the democratic national committee's headquarters in the watergate apartment and office complex on june 17th, 1972 and uh this was just a kind of a a brief little tempest in a teapot scandal in 1972 uh because, you know, it was odd. Um, the arrest of men in business suits uh, rifling through the files of the Democrats and, uh, you know, equipped with tiny little spy cameras and uh, bugging devices. And it turns out that some of them used to work for the CIA. Mm-hmm. So at first, it just seemed like this very, very strange little scandal and, you um, it's, it's kind of a myth that the voters didn't care about Watergate in the 1972 election. When asked, they also all said, I mean, a very big majority of Americans said, no, breaking into the uh, opponent's headquarters is wrong. But nobody thought Richard Nixon had anything to do with it. And it would be, uh, you know, and it, to this day, there is no good evidence that Richard Nixon knew about the Watergate break-in in advance uh, the reason that it affected him, the reason that he ultimately had to resign the presidency, was that he was involved in the cover up.
0: OK, so talk to me about the cover up. Well, just start to finish. How did someone know something was up and then how was it initially covered?
1: Well, um, the way they they really caught the burglars was uh, thanks to uh, uh a security guard named Frank Wills, who worked for the Watergate. And he, uh, while doing his rounds, spotted tape over the latch of one of the doors um, that was keeping the latch from closing and locking. So he thought, well, probably that's just the cleaning crew making it convenient for themselves to get in and out of this usually locked door. So he goes and takes the tape off, and... Um, thinking nothing of it. But when he does his next rounds, he sees that someone has put the tape back on. So he gets suspicious and he calls the police. Um, The Watergate burglars did have a lookout across the street in a Howard Johnson's, uh, but the guy who was supposed to be the lookout was distracted by a science fiction movie that was on television at the moment. So he didn't see the police pull up. And the police who pulled up were in plain clothes. They were dressed like hippies. Uh so when very when he 70s. Saw them, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You can picture it. You, you've got it. You, <laughs> yeah. you hear the soundtrack in your in your I line, do <laughs> in your mind's music library. Right. So they uh, they go in and um they 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 check out the democratic national committee and <laughs> discover guys in business suits there. And it's just a very strange kind of, you know, man bites dog's story. Um, They book these guys. um, And during their, I think it was their arraignment, uh, the judge asks, you know, where do you work? And uh, somebody whispers an answer and the judge says, I can't hear you. Uh, um, Please speak up. And the guy said he had worked for the CIA. And so, you know, it, it became this kind of very strange story. You know, why do people connected with uh, the committee to reelect the president? Why would they be involved in something as strange as, as bugging the Democratic National Committee? Um, and, it, it, you know, at, at first there was, a, there was a flurry of interest in it. And then. Everybody else, everybody except the Washington Post walks away from the story thinking, well, you know, it's this this oddity rather than something that could just be the tip of the iceberg.
0: So what time was that, by the way, that they were that they were trying to steal these files or whatever they, they were looking for? I'm guess they, they were looking for things against that could be used against were, them in, in re-election, correct?
1: They were or in the election. They were, it, it's actually... We actually don't know specifically what they were going in to Democratic National Committee headquarters for. It was kind of like a a, not a very lucrative target to use their their jargon, because most of the real important campaign information would be in the headquarters of the candidates. Um, This was June 17th. So it was before the nominating conventions. Um, And uh, at that point it looked like George McGovern would get the nomination and uh, he was just very, very far behind uh, Richard Nixon in the polls and he would stay that way for the entire campaign. So it, it seemed kind of a bizarre, it it, people wondered why anybody would bother to break into democratic national committee headquarters. And uh, I think partly there's just like a bureaucratic explanation Nixon decided in 71, he wanted wiretapping on his opponents, he wanted tailing, he wanted really comprehensive um, intelligence, and wasn't too concerned about whether it was legal. So the committee, the, his, his re-election committee made plans, and um, they just sort of you know got a life of their own.
0: Wow. So then who was all involved? Because you had these guys go in and, you know, there was the break in, but then so many other things happened. So take me through that.
1: Um, The two most important people involved were what they called the masterminds of the break in. Uh, One was G. Gordon Liddy, a former FBI agent uh, who had done black bag jobs, break-ins for the FBI, and the other was E. Howard Hunt, a former CIA agent who had uh, worked on um, the Bay of Pigs invasion in the 1960s. And the reason that Nixon had a compelling motive to cover up, to obstruct the FBI's investigation of the break-in was that Hunt and Liddy had been hired the year before by the White House when Richard Nixon had ordered his aides to commit some crimes on his behalf. Mm -hmm. Um, He did order, we have this on tape, his aides to break into the Brookings Institution, a Washington think tank that he thought mistakenly had a classified report on the Vietnam peace talks that Lyndon Johnson negotiated right before the 1968 election. Uh, Nixon blamed those peace talks for nearly costing him the election. He won just a very, very close election in 68. And uh, one of the ways he won was by privately, secretly, discouraging South Vietnam, the country that American soldiers were fighting for at that time, the, the government uh, of South Vietnam, that he privately encouraged them to boycott those peace talks. Uh, the reason for that was political. Uh, he thought that if peace talks started right before the election, that Lyndon Johnson's vice president, Hubert Humphrey, who was the Democratic nominee, would get a boost in the polls, and the race was so close at that point that it looked like uh, Humphrey could could over overtake Nixon. So three days before the election, the South Vietnamese government announces we are not taking part in those peace talks, mm. and that's just enough for Nixon to to win in a in a real squeaker, a very very close election. It was like the, the second closest election of the century and the, the closest of course being uh kennedy's defeat of nixon eight years earlier in 1960 so um nixon feared that the democrats had intelligence on what he had done to sabotage the peace talks and he was he was mistaken um the the fbi Um, had wiretapped the South Vietnamese embassy and done other kinds of surveillance. And uh, the CIA had a bug in the office of the president of South Vietnam. And the National Security Agency was intercepting all the cables from the South Vietnamese embassy in Washington to the South Vietnamese government. And so Johnson knew that some Republicans were trying to discouraged the south vietnamese from taking part in the peace talks and he knew that they were speaking in nixon's name but he didn't really have the goods on nixon but nixon didn't know that when he spoke to johnson johnson acted like he had information on nixon himself and nixon was scared and wanted to get his hands on every bit of information that the johnson administration had collected during the 1968 campaign. And that's why he orders this break-in at the Brookings Institution. So to make a unfortunately long story short, as soon as Nixon found out that Hunt and Liddy were involved in the Watergate break-in, he knew that he had to obstruct the investigation of those two guys because if it was not obstructed, it would lead back to a crime he had committed by putting together a group to break into the Brookings Institution. That break-in never took place, but it's a crime just to take any step to uh, to make a break-in occur. It's called conspiracy to commit burglary. And it's a real simple crime that everybody can understand. It's not like obstruction of justice, you know, where you can explain it as many times as you want. It's just still hard to wrap your head around Everyone could understand that even the president of the United States could not order a break-in. So when Nixon's ordering the Watergate cover-up, it's not to protect other people; it's to protect himself. Mm.
0: So actually, I I, I want to jump in here because you say you know he has this motive to do the cover-up, but how did he obstruct the investigation?
1: Um, in a lot of ways, um, they uh, they had. Uh, the White House counsel sit in on the interviews that the FBI conducted with people who worked for the committee to reelect the president. The most famous way, of course, is uh, captured on the smoking gun tape. And that was when Nixon ordered the CIA to tell the FBI to stop looking further into uh. Into Hunt and Liddy's background because it might expose CIA activities, and that just wasn't true. Mm. Um, the uh, the CIA was not worried at all about um, exposure of its activities from the from the FBI's investigation of Watergate. The FBI knew to steer clear of anything that would jeopardize American national security, and the the plumbers, the the group that Nixon put together for the Brookings break-in, while it worked under the cover of national security, it really was a political operation. Its target was the Democrats.
0: Did he think he wasn't going to get caught? I mean, obviously, he did think he was. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) He did not think he was going to get caught. A lot of people think Nixon was, like, dumb for recording his conversations, but they don't realize that presidents before Nixon – were were tape recording their conversations. Johnson and Kennedy did it extensively. Eisenhower and Franklin Roosevelt did still it It's Still
0: illegal, right?
1: Oh no, it wasn't it, then. Oh, it, was not was then? No, 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 no. Uh, it was. Um, it was perfectly legal for people to record their conversations um, back then, and and you know, it was. There was no question that the, that the president could record conversations in the Oval Office, um, but but it was a secret um right. the president got a lot of deference it wasn't like now where like presidents have to worry you know for the last few decades presidents have had to wonder you know will if, if the opposing party has control of congress will they'll try to impeach me um and so you know the impeachment was something that hadn't happened for a century mm. before nixon it was something that you know Woodward and Bernstein had to explain to their readers because it was not something. Wow, that, that's it,
0: interesting. Yes. That's was, a good
1: point. And you know, they, you know, most people had just not heard of it. It was ancient history, like you know, uh, a treaty from the eighteen hundreds.
0: Yeah, people nowadays love the word impeachment.
1: <laughs> yes. If yes, you don't know what is.
0: impeachment is, then you have been living under a rock. Um, exactly. So. I do want to get into the impeachment talks. Obviously he wasn't impeached. He resigned. but uh, just a quick question about uh, Lydie and Hunt um, mm-hmm. when I when I think about I, I'm no investigator, but if I was, I think the first place I would look look is if there was a money trail because I'm sure Lydia and Hunt were getting paid. Was there a money trail and what did that expose?
1: It, there was a money trail, and uh, that does tie in with the smoking gun tape. There was a risk that the FBI was going to find out that uh, some of the funds for the Watergate break-in crew came from Nixon campaign funds. There was a check, I think, that um, had a, one of the campaign fundraisers' um, signatures on it. I'm not really sure about the specifics of that, but you know, when when Nixon was making the decision to uh, have the CIA tell the FBI to back off, uh, there was an immediate risk that the FBI was going to find these Nixon campaign related funds. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, a short term motive for Nixon. But he had started the cover up before then. Um, He wanted to make sure and he failed in this. Um, he wanted to make sure that the, the FBI never found out about the plumbers and he wasn't able to do that. That came out during the Watergate hearings, but he was able to conceal that he had put together the plumbers to break into Brookings. That did not come out until we heard Nixon saying it on his tapes um, in the in the recordings that came out after his death in the 1990s.
0: Mm. I mean, it, it, it's, it truly is a crazy story. And, um, you know, and you talk about why he had motive that he did this and that it was just wall to wall, wall to wall coverage. What was finally then, I don't know if I want to ask this just yet, cause I have more questions, but I do want to know, cause I'm curious, what was the last straw that led Nixon to go, all right, I'm going to resign.
1: Um, there were, there were a few things that happened in the summer of 72 the Supreme court, ruled unanimously against him that he had to turn over his tapes to the Watergate special prosecutor because they were criminal evidence. Nixon did not see that coming when he when he started recording his conversations. It, you know, it had never happened before, but the Supreme Court was unanimous that uh, in a criminal investigation, the president, like any other American citizen, is Obligated by the law to turn over evidence of criminal wrongdoing. Um, One of those tapes was the uh, the June 23rd, 1972 tape that became known as the smoking gun tape. Um, And Nixon, when he read a transcript of it, realized, you know, it it made it clear that he had committed obstruction of justice, though he had been denying that uh, all along. and that that by itself wasn't necessarily a fatal blow. Uh, tapes that came out earlier in 1972 showed that uh, Nixon had approved the uh, raising and paying of hush money to keep people from testifying uh, about what they knew regarding uh, the the broader Watergate scandal, all the abuses of power, and uh, that that you know eventually got put under the umbrella, umbrella term of Watergate. But um, what really made the difference was when he talked to Republican leaders from the Senate. In order to hold on to his job, Nixon had to retain the support of 34 senators. And um, he talked with uh, Senate leaders, uh, including Barry Goldwater, who was, you know, the conservative leader at the time. And Goldwater said to him, you know, I'm not sure you're going to get enough votes for you to remain in office. And I'm I'm not sure I'm going to vote to keep you in office. And once Nixon heard that, he realized that he was going to lose the presidency one way or another. Mm. So that was what made up his uh, mind to resign.
0: All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. Did we ever figure out why or who ordered the break-in?
1: It's still debated. Um, there's a, you know, there's some debate over whether John Mitchell ordered it as uh, the head of Nixon's re-election campaign or whether it came from Jeb Magruder, who was deputy chairman. Uh, Magruder testified that it was Mitchell. Mitchell testified that he didn't do it. Um, to me, it's fairly clear That Nixon did not know about it in advance Which is a question that always comes up But it is uh, it it is a little bit of a mystery mm.
0: And then just to get back to the smoking gun tape Because that is integral in all of this I mean, it proved that he ordered the cover-up So can you just uh, break down What exactly it was about the, that tape That helped in this investigation?
1: Well... The uh, the question of whether the president had committed obstruction of justice had become central. Um, The uh, House Judiciary Committee had approved an article of impeachment charging that Nixon had committed obstruction of justice. Nixon had been denying it all along. Um, It was at that point a crime that Americans had become familiar with, thanks to the Watergate hearings and investigations. Um, it was, you know, not just a uh, an impeachable offense, a high crime and misdemeanor, which is serious in one way. It was also a criminal offense, which mean which meant that, you know, someone who committed that could go to prison. So um, Nixon had explicitly denied using the CIA to obstruct the FBI's investigation. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said that he had only been motivated by national security concerns. And national security, of course, is a legitimate concern of the president as commander in chief. But what the tape showed was that um, political concerns were paramount. Uh, The White House Chief of Staff, H.R. Haldeman, Told Nixon that there, the immediate risk was that the FBI was going to find this check that showed that Nixon campaign contributions had paid for uh, the Watergate break-in crew, and you know that would be obviously a, a political problem for uh, the the administration and the president's reelection campaign. And it was then that Nixon. Falsely uh, said that, you know, we should we should have that that the CIA should tell the FBI uh, stop looking into this. If you look into this, you will expose vital national security activities by the CIA.
0: Did the CIA do that? Did they tell the FBI to stop?
1: Yeah, the CIA did um, immediately have the meeting with the FBI. And indicate that um, it didn't want the the FBI to, mm. you know, look too deeply in, into those activities. But within a short amount of time, you know, the FBI like checked with the CIA or can, you know, it, is it really going to cause you a problem if we continue investigating these guys? And at that point, the the head of the CIA said, "No, we we actually are not afraid that you'll find anything uh, that affects our our operations or national security." And so the the investigation did go forward.
0: I see. So that was going to be my question, and and maybe if you could elaborate. Um, so no members of the CIA were uh, no no one got in trouble from the CIA.
1: Right. It wasn't um, there. The people involved in the break in, um, in addition to a former uh, CIA agent, Howard Hunt, um, the other people involved were uh, CIA assets. They Mm. were Cuban expats and, uh, you know, some Americans who had worked as uh, as 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 CIA um, operatives. Um, So, you know, there were these quote unquote CIA connections. But the CIA, you know, they, they, they these people were not working in any way on behalf of the CIA.
0: I see. Um, who else was involved with that cover up? Because Richard Nixon couldn't have just been acting alone in that. There had to have been someone else.
1: Right. Um, a lot of people um, were involved, including John Mitchell, the campaign chairman, Jeb Stuart Magruder, the vice chairman. Um, Nixon's top aides, H.R. Haldeman, his chief of staff, and John Ehrlichman, his chief domestic advisor, and the White House Counsel, and they were all, you know, involved in 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 managing the cover up throughout the 1972 campaign. And uh, the problems for the administration really began after Nixon was reelected, and the investigations, you know, kept. Moving farther up the hierarchy, uh, implicating John Mitchell and and Magruder from the campaign, and then uh, implicating John Dean, um, who had sat in on some of the uh, interviews between the FBI and uh, people who worked for the reelection committee, and then there the the president's two closest aides, Haldeman and Ehrlichman, were implicated. And that's what really made the the Watergate scandal become the biggest scandal of the 20th century. Yeah. And it, it moved into the White House.
0: And, and who exactly was Martha Mitchell? And can you just talk to me about the kidnapping?
1: Sure. Um, Martha Mitchell was the wife of John Mitchell. Um, and in a time when there were relatively few prominent Female political figures in America. Uh, Martha Mitchell was pretty famous. She uh, she would talk to reporters, um, and she was fairly well informed because uh, she and, and John Mitchell were close, and she was sometimes the the source of scoops. Um, um, Martha Mitchell became uh, you know, uh, prominent during the the Watergate investigation because. Uh, she she told reporters that she had been held against her will um by uh by people hired by her husband. Um and as uh, if anybody has been watching the, the recent TV miniseries, uh, Gaslit knows, um that, you know, it was a, a fairly uh terrifying experience uh for Martha Mitchell. Um it you know, and the the explanation given is that you know, you know, John Mitchell was afraid that she would talk to the press and and say something um, that would damage him, damage Richard Nixon, damage the Republicans, damage the re-election campaign. And uh, she wound up, she wound up uh, saying things that didn't really damage uh, Richard Nixon very much. But one thing that she realized early on was that there was a cover-up taking place. And when she talked about that, when she made that claim... That was quite true, and uh, she was saying that in public, uh, probably the first prominent Republican to say that in public. And um, we have found out that uh, after John Mitchell left her um, during the Watergate scandal, uh, she invited Woodward and Bernstein, uh, the Watergate team for The Washington Post, to... uh, come to the apartment that she had shared with john mitchell and look through his papers and so um, this was something that woodard and bernstein uh, did not divulge uh, at the time but um, they divulged it uh, just recently they they were able to look through john mitchell's papers in order to um you know further their investigation of watergate and that was a real, a very significant uh, disclosure that Martha Mitchell was responsible for that we didn't know until very recently.
0: I see. Yeah. I mean, that's when you look at everyone involved, that's how this gets so complicated. And, yes. you know, there's so yeah, you know, it's it's so it, it is crazy. And it's it, it's really awesome to learn about, too. We'll be right back after this. You know, you had mentioned earlier on about the Washington Post and just the media in general. It was wall to wall Mm -hmm. coverage. What role did the media play in all of this?
1: Uh, The the media played. uh, I mean, in one way, the media's role was exaggerated. Uh, There are some people who naively think that Woodward and Bernstein brought down the president. And it really was not the case. Um, What was most important uh, in Nixon's decision to resign was his loss of support among congressional republicans and that was partly due to the evidence and also partly due to the political calendar by by august of 74 the congressional republicans had their primaries behind them so they were no longer worried that if they withdrew support for the president the republican president then uh, the president's supporters in the republican base would withdraw their support for any congressional Republican who who failed to, to stand by the president by August, the primaries were behind them, and they were worried about the the November elections in which they had to face moderate voters who very much had turned against Nixon because of the real avalanche of evidence that had come out. Um, one that the White House was deeply involved in uh, abuses of power um, and in covering up crimes. And. Also, um, the, the most recent evidence that came out, which, of course, that was the president himself, had been guilty of obstruction of justice. So that was the real reason that, that Nixon had to resign. That was the thing that made all the difference. The wall-to-wall coverage was not enough. Um, you know, people, it, it very much changed the opinion of the majority of American voters, but the wall-to-wall coverage by the television networks and the newspapers did not uh, shake Nixon's hold on the Republican base, which continued to support him uh, fairly strongly um, through the resignation itself. Um, Nixon, you know, was the start, the originator of the narrative that. He lost the presidency because of liberal Democrats in Congress and because of what he called the liberal news media, um, rather than because of his own wrongdoing. Um, And that narrative, you know, was sustained by his supporters. And uh, we see, you know, that kind of narrative continues to have uh, an appeal.
0: Mm -hmm. What do you think would have happened if President Nixon had not resigned?
1: I do think that at that point, he would have been impeached and he would have been tried in the Senate and um, probably a majority, a, a two thirds majority would have voted to convict. And in a way, I think that would have been the best thing for the country because it would have given a proper resolution to the scandal. we never had a Senate trial we never had a jury trial uh with Richard Nixon so um he we never got to see the government's strongest case against him and his strongest defense and Nixon would have mounted a powerful defense he was he was an uh, an an excellent litigator. Uh, especially of his own career and his own record, and you know, in America, we we count on trials to give us some closure. They, you know, we we believe in the jury verdict, and uh, we even if we don't support it, even if you know, we all have the right to disagree with how a jury decides. We respect that as a legitimate way to determine guilt or innocence. And I think without that, it kind of left uh, some open wounds in the body politic that had, you know, have festered over the decades. Mm-hmm.
0: And um, what do you think just overall, what you, what did Watergate reveal? Because nowadays, you know, there there are so many things that politically that there have been political scandals for a very long time. And when you talk about Richard Nixon, do you think your mind will always go to Watergate?
1: Um When I think about Richard Nixon, I think about the abuses of power that were worse than Watergate. I think about him prolonging the Vietnam War after realizing that he could not win it, but also making the political calculation that if he lost the war before the 1972 election, uh, he could not win re-election because he had promised peace with honor, not, uh, not retreat with defeat. And so that... Decision to prolong the war cost thousands of American lives. Uh, Twenty thousand Americans lost their lives in Vietnam during his first term, during his presidency, and uh, cost many thousands of Vietnamese lives, uh, including the lives of the the Vietnamese who fought on our side as well as those uh, that American soldiers fought against. And so that's what I think of mainly. But the you know what the main lesson of Watergate that I derive is that it's not that the system worked it's that the system just barely worked with heroic efforts by investigators and journalists and politicians having to be braver than uh, ordinarily they feel comfortable with and uh, judges including the supreme court uh, acting independently of the president all coming all uniting around the principle that even the president is not above the law. And, uh, and, you know, we, we managed to resolve a constitutional crisis and we can do so again.
0: Do you think that set a precedent for the future of journalism and the way a president can or cannot behave?
1: For a while it did. Um, In the immediate aftermath of Watergate uh, people were very, very conscious in all levels in, in Congress, there was a lot of reform legislation and in the news media, there was uh, a real premium on investigative reporting uh, because people saw that it would be, you know, it could be important. It could make a real difference. Um, so that was, you know, the positive part of it. But there was also a negative part of it. There was just scandal mongering Mm. in the press. Um, You know, even during Watergate, you know, some things about Richard Nixon that were published were just false. Um, And and later, you know, there was uh, since once people realized that investigative journalism could pay off, you got some shoddy investigative journalism that, you know, uh, went after scandals that didn't necessarily have to be scandals. So there was there was both this increase in reform and, you know, uh, determination to hold the powerful accountable. And that's all a good thing. But there was also an increase in cynicism, like, uh, you know, people thinking that you know, oh just everybody does it, just some people get caught. And that's not true. I mean, you know, you, we see constantly that there are people who, um, while they are willing to to bend rules for political reasons, they're not willing to break the law. And that's that's crucial to life in a republic. So I, I, I think the legacy of Watergate is kind of mixed.
0: I think that's a really well thought out answer because there are so many facets to it. And, um, you know, I I, I, you I asked ready. you like the, I asked you the Richard Nixon question, just his legacy, because Gerald oh, yes. Ford, he was the successor He was Nixon's successor, and he pardoned him. Why?
1: Well, uh, Gerald Ford, uh, after about a month in office, realized that Watergate was going to dominate his presidency if he didn't um, take the action that he did, if he didn't grant Nixon a full pardon. Uh, Otherwise, you know, the attention of the country would be on the trial of Richard Nixon and ford thought that that was not healthy for the country um there was some suspicion that ford had made some sort of corrupt deal with nixon and uh there's there's no good evidence of that but um you know ford was sympathetic with nixon's plight they were long-term political allies uh he believed that uh nixon had suffered a great deal by being uh basically forced out of the presidency, but, you know, uh, because he realized that if he did not resign, uh, the, he would be impeached and convicted. And, uh, Ford wanted the country to focus on its current issues. You know, the, it's what was the problems facing the nation in 1975 and the problems that would be facing the nation for the rest of the seventies. And so he made that, Decision to uh, to pardon Nixon, and it was a genuinely courageous thing to do, because uh, the majority of Americans were not in the mood for a pardon. They wanted the they wanted the um, the questions of Watergate to be resolved definitively uh, by trials, um, regular legal trials by jury. And uh, while I, I disagree with Ford's. Decision. I think that the the lack of closure uh had long-term damaging political consequences. I have to respect the decision because it, it seems that he did make it in what he determined to be the national interest. And that is uh probably the most we could hope for from someone in his position. Mm.
0: And last thing I want to ask you, Ken, uh, you said at the beginning of this podcast that what really interested you was the wall-to-wall coverage when you were eight years old. If you could tell your eight-year-old self what the most important thing to know about Watergate is, now knowing everything that you know, what would it be?
1: Um, The important questions have answers. The the biggest mysteries, which are about the president rather than the Watergate break-in, they do have solutions um, and you can find them in the evidence. The, the best thing that ever happened to presidential history was Richard Nixon's decision to record his conversations using a voice activated system. So for that these for these 30 crucial months in American history when Nixon is not only realigning American politics, you know, replacing the, liberal democratic new deal coalition with a right of center new republican majority when he's uh negotiating the withdrawal from vietnam and negotiating rapprochement with china the opening to china and uh the first really really big arms control deal with the soviet union this really pivotal time in american history we're going to really be able to see what was on the president's mind and why he made the decisions he did And it's going to be fascinating.
0: (laughs) I love that answer. And I loved having you on. Ken Hughes, everyone. Thank you so much, Ken. I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you, Abby. I love talking with you about one of my favorite subjects.
0: All right. If you missed anything from class, these are my office hours. And here are some top takeaways about the Watergate scandal. Number one. If you're wondering who spotted the Watergate break-in, that credit is given to a security guard named Frank Wills. He spotted tape over the latch on one of the doors and thought, you know, what, just might be the cleaning crew. Then on his second round, he noticed it was there again, so he investigated further. Number two, Ken pointed out that Nixon had motive for a cover-up because he didn't want the investigation to reveal that he had ordered aides to break into the Brookings Institute. He ordered the CIA to tell the FBI to stop looking into Hunt and Liddy's background. Those were two of the main characters in the Watergate break-in. And number three, we know a lot of this through the smoking gun tapes. The Supreme Court unanimously voted that Nixon had to give over the tapes he had. The smoking gun tape really provided context to the early stages of the Watergate cover-up. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on Watergate. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed.